We're in Genesis chapter 25. I love to see them go. That's so cool. Genesis, hopefully I can focus now. Genesis chapter 25, verses 12 to 18 is where we're at today. Just seven verses. And um, Let me read this illustration to you from Gene Fleming. When I picture God's rejoicing over his people with singing, I think of Snowflake Bentley. Wilson Snowflake Bentley, a New England farmer born in 1865, couldn't get enough of snowflakes. For 40 years, he ran around in the snow, raucously joyful, catching snowflakes on chilled slides and photographing them, seeking to capture for others the beauty he saw on those one-of-a-kind masterpieces of frozen crystals. Over his lifetime, he photographed more than 5,000 individual snowflakes. Wow. His notes were effusive. Number 785 is rarely beautiful. He wrote uh, of, quote-unquote, the feast of their beauty. Gene goes on and says, I imagine snowflake careening in the snow, giddy with joy. I marvel with the psalmist. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them? They are like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. Psalm 144, verses 3 and 4. I'm like a vanishing, vaporous breath, and God cares for me. We're going to be talking about that today. The title of the message is Non-Covenant Care. You'll understand when we get there. But like God cares, and when we get to our big idea, you're going to even understand a little bit more. He cares for us, doesn't he? I could have entered college uh, with scholarships to help pay for my schooling, but instead I entered college on academic probation. And it was simply because I just didn't apply myself in high school. And I thought, I'm working at Chick-fil-A. I'm going to make all kinds of money, and I'll be able to pay for college, right? I'd saved up all this money, and it was gone in the first semester. Then that summer, I worked at Chick-fil-A, and because of the number of hours I worked there, I was awarded a $2,000 scholarship, and it was gone by the first semester of my second year. And I wish I would have applied myself so I could have got scholarships because I spent eight years after college paying off school debt. We paid it off early by God's grace, but yeah. Um, I had to take a required non-credit class my first semester that taught me how to study and held me accountable. It was really helpful because I graduated college with a much better GPA that was much higher than just passing. And then for my master's degree at seminary, I graduated with almost a 4.0. I missed it by like one test that wasn't an A plus in one class. It was just that close. It was like 3.96 or so. I don't remember. It was high. Almost. While maturity played a role in my developing educational success, I know that God was taking care of me. And I've seen him take care of me over the years. He's provided safety for me as I experienced culture shock with our move to Birmingham, Alabama as a junior in high school. Never expected any of that. He protected me from many of the teenage pitfalls that you hear a lot of people that fall into. He led me to Judy in college and has provided wisdom and guidance for both of us through nearly 31 years of marriage. He's shown great care uh, in waiting for me to be obedient to his calling for my life to pastoral ministry. I've seen God's care for me through various illnesses that I've experienced over the years. And God has cared for me by answering prayers. As I've cried out to him, he's heard. 
and he's answered. And I know that he will continue to take care of me until he calls me home or sends Jesus again. Every one of us has probably experienced obstacles that we have had to overcome with the Lord's help. We can all share ways in which we've seen God taking care of us or of our family members. We may be able to recall times that God took care of us even before we were his disciples. We can probably recount times that God took care of family members, friends, and co-workers who were not his disciples. And so these three verses, or seven, I'm sorry, seven verses, are the shortest tolidoth, that's the Hebrew word for the account of, section in Genesis. This is the shortest one, just seven verses. It is a transitional section that prepares us for the section on Isaac's family line, which will begin uh, next week um, with verse 19. It focuses on the genealogy and obituary of Ishmael, the non-covenant son of Abraham and Hagar. And this is a continued feature of the narrator of Genesis to provide information about the non-covenant people before addressing the covenant people. We've seen that already, and he continues to repeat that. So what we're going to see from this section today is that God cares for all people. This includes covenant and non-covenant people, as we'll see through this passage. It includes believers and unbelievers. God cares for his people, his creation. He cares for all people. And we can rejoice in that fact today. And so as we just pause for a moment to commit this to the Lord in prayer, would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we come to you today. We worship you because you care for all people. Lord, you are the creator God. You're the one who knit them together in their mother's womb. And Lord God, you have watched over and protected them even when they didn't desire to be in a relationship with you because you are sovereign, because you are in control of everything. You're all-powerful. And we worship you for all of those attributes today. And Lord, as we come to this passage today, even just in seven short verses, Lord God, you have some principles that you desire for us to, to learn. Would you teach us through your vessel today, through your mouthpiece? I pray, Lord God, that your words would come out of my mouth and not my own. That we might know your heart. We might know your mind that we might be obedient to you. We just ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we see here, we're going to see three points. The genealogy, the obituary, and the destiny. And so as we start with the um, genealogy, let's look at verses 12 to 16. <clears throat> and this is what God's Word says. Let me get these on. There we go. This is the account of Abraham's son Ishmael whom Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael listed in the order of their birth. Nevaioth, the, first, yeah, the firstborn of Ishmael. Kedar, Adbiel, Mivsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tamah, Yator, Nafish, and Kademah. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these are the names of the twelve tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. And so as we look at these, uh, <clears throat> this genealogy today, we see that this is Abraham's son. This is the account of, as the seventh statement like this in Genesis, 
This is the shortest one, as I mentioned earlier, only seven verses. Verse 19 begins the eighth section, beginning with this is the account of, and goes into um, Isaac and his descendants. So this is the account of Ishmael. He's Abraham's and Hagar's son. Hagar was Sarah's maidservant from Egypt. We understand that from this passage of Scripture. As was mentioned earlier in Genesis chapter 12, verse 16, Hagar perhaps was one of the maidservants that uh, the Egyptian Pharaoh gave to Abraham when he and Sarah went there during the time of famine in Canaan. So we're told that if you remember the story there, Pharaoh and his uh, court, they see Sarah and they're like, she's pretty attractive. And so he takes Sarah um, as one of his brides and in, uh, and what he does then is give Abraham like uh, male servants and, and uh, female servants, gives him all kinds of stuff, including like flocks and herds as well. And he just blesses him. So perhaps that's where Hagar gets into the picture there. Now that we know who Ishmael's parents are, the narrator, narrator lists his sons. We find all of these names listed both here and in 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 29 to 31. That section in 1 Chronicles is called the, um, the Ancestry of the Nation. That's, that's the, a modern heading in, uh, in our Bibles today. It wasn't there in Hebrew. And so we see all of these 12 names there because they're recounting, again, the ancestry and the, the genealogy. But some of these names we're going to see in other parts of Scripture. <clears throat> and so we'll see those as we go through these names today. We're told that Ishmael's sons are listed in birth order, so we see Nevioth, and his name means heights. He's the firstborn. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 7, um, tells us that this tribe was rich in rams. They were located in what is modern... Uh, Ha'il, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but you see the red dot in the center. It's in Saudi Arabia. Um, you see the Red Sea off to the right there. Um, and so that's where the modern day is. But that's where they th think that this uh, particular tribal uh, clan lived uh, during biblical times. The next uh, name that we see is uh, Kedar, which means dark. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 7, the same place that we just talked about, Nevioth. It also mentions the richness of their flocks. Uh, so they were wealthy in flocks and in herds and in rams. They were nomads that lived between Egypt and Dadan Edom. And Isaiah mentions them as warriors skilled with the bow and arrow in Isaiah chapter 21, verse 17. They were the most influential tribe during the first millennium until the Nabataeans, which is what Matthew points out in his commentary. The next three uh, names we don't see listed anywhere else in Scripture, and we don't really know much about them other than their name and what it means. Sa'adbiel so means chastened of God. Mivsam means sweet odor. And Mishma means a hearing. Then we get to uh, Duma, which means silence. And Isaiah has an oracle about Duma in Isaiah chapter 21, verses 11 and 12. They were located in northern Arabia. You're going to see a map pop up here. This oasis town was a key point in the incense trade between Babylon and Palestine. So again, what you see, the, the, the blue water that you see is the very top of the Red Sea again. And so they're out kind of in the east of that, <clears throat> as you see in that map. Masa means burden or oracle. Hadad means mighty. And then we get to Tema, which means desert. 
And Hamilton in his commentary says, Tamah is also mentioned in Isaiah 21:14, along with Dedan in verse 13 and Kedar in verse 16, and they are urged to provide water and bread for Arabian refugees who have been ravaged by Syrian forces. So we see them popping up again um, in different places. Tamah also appears in Job 6.19 and Jeremiah 25.23. And there is an oasis town named after Tamah in northwest Arabia. So if that map is going to pop up again, you see down there is where Tamah is at. And so... Anyhow, they're all kind of in this particular region. You're going to see that in just a moment with a couple of other maps that I'll pull up here and just uh, a couple more points. Next we have Yator, which means enclosed, found together with the, uh, with the tribe of um, Nafish in the Transjordan. We see them in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. And that's where they're mentioned, where the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh went to war against them and one other uh, tribe uh, named Nodab. And these three tribes were considered the Hagrites. Then we get to Nafish, and we already know that they're found in 1 Chronicles chapter 5 again as well. But it it means refreshment or precious. And then Kadimah means original or toward the east. So the narrator tells us that these are the sons of Ishmael. The names are also the names of the 12 princes or tribal uh, groups. They settled in villages and set up camps according to the tribes or clans named after them. So the Hebrew for settlements and camps, I want to help you understand what that means. Settlements is unwalled villages near towns. They were unprotected. And then camps has the idea of tents related to towns. And again, just think about this. The sons of Ishmael were nomadic, transient people. So they lived in unprotected structures. It wasn't like they were building you know, permanent uh, cities and things like that, permanent towns. They were maybe living outside of some of these towns, but it, it was very transient, very nomadic. We see these 12 tribal rulers, and from that we see that God cares for all people through this genealogy. We see the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham concerning Ishmael. Sue read uh, one of those uh, verses for you from Genesis chapter 17. I want to read, I want to begin at verse 17 and go to verse 20. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said uh, to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. And so this uh, just reminds us of the principle, one of the principles we talked about last week, that God fulfills his promises. Last week it says, you know, the, prom, or the principle was God keeps his promises. We talked about that last week. He fulfills his promises to us also. It's just a great reminder, again this week, that we can claim the promises of God for peace, provision, protection, and presence. Those were just four that I mentioned, but there's so many more promises that we can claim from God's word that he, he says he will do. Then in verse 17, we're told of Ishmael's death. Look at that verse with me if you would. 
Altogether, Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people. So this is the obituary. We get a little bit of information here. We get his age. He's 137 years old, which means that he lived another 48 years after his father Abraham's death. And then we're told that he breathed his last and died. He was gathered to his people. Now, he was not buried with his father in Machpelah near Mamre. While it's not stated here, it can be implied that Ishmael had secured his own family burial location. We don't know where it is, but he, he got his own family burial plot. And so he was gathered to his people. It was not the covenant people. You know, we know that Isaac was buried then with his mom and dad in Machpelah, but not Ishmael. He was gathered to his people. The narrator concludes this totally doth, this the account of section with the destiny of Ishmael's sons and their tribes. Look at verse 18, if you would. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the border of Egypt, as you go toward Ashur, and they lived in hostility toward all their brothers. So what we see here is two things, where they settled and how they lived. They were nomads, so they traveled throughout eastern and southeastern Arabia. This next map that you're going to see is kind of a broader map. Again, you see the Red Sea uh, there to the right. And then they have question marks by like where it says Havilah. And it's like, is this where it is? Where it's, but it's that whole region. Uh, and it's like Saudi Arabia, modern day Saudi Arabia is like all of it in that area. The next map kind of narrows in just a little bit. <clears throat> it's actually a broader view. But uh, you see the, the yellow, um, like, I don't know what you call that, uh, shading at the top with the red letters, uh, that's kind of where they think um, Havilah was and, and Shur and all that stuff. That's where Ishmael's line um, was settling. And then just to, above that and a little to the west um, would be where Israel is, the promised land. And so that's what's taking place here. So we come to the second principle today that God can overcome <clears throat> our lack of faith. We don't really see the removal of Ishmael from Canaan in this statement about where they settled. Ishmael and Hagar had already been sent away many years earlier when he was just 15. God had promised to bless Ishmael and make him into a great nation also, but he was not the son through whom his covenant would be fulfilled. Abraham and Sarah had tried to take matters into their own hands, but God was able to overcome their impatience and lack of faith. So how does that apply for us today? Maybe in the past you've gotten impatient with God's timing. Take a moment to just think about that. Like, yep, I've gotten impatient with God's timing. Have you ever lacked faith in God's ability to accomplish something? Did your impatience or lack of faith create obstacles that God overcame in order to accomplish His plan and purpose for your life? Most of us can answer yes to every one of those. Yes, I've been impatient with God. Yes, I've shown a lack of faith in his you know, ability to do things. And yes, I've created some obstacles that God had to overcome in order to accomplish his purpose in my life. So that's reflecting on the past, but what about present? Is there currently a situation where you are struggling with God's timing? Is there a current circumstance where, you, where your faith is lacking? I think we can say yes to that too. We're struggling with God's timing. Maybe it's like to find that perfect person, right? Our future spouse. 
And we're like so impatient, right? And we're lacking faith that God is going to provide that person. Maybe it's a, a physical issue that you're going through. And you're like, I'm ready for this pain to be gone now, right? And we're impatient with God's timing. And we lack faith that he's going to heal us sometimes. Yet he promises to do that. Maybe we're dealing with a, a vehicle that broke down. And we're like, I don't know where I'm going to get the money to fix this vehicle. Or, or, or maybe you're worried about the gas prices. And you're like, I don't know where I'm going to get the money to put gas in my car so I can go to work. We have all these different circumstances that, that come up. Maybe we're worried about what's that first job going to look like out of college or out of high school. And we're impatient, waiting on God's timing, and, and we're lacking faith that he's going to provide for us. And so the next question for us presently is this. Are you in danger of creating an obstacle that God will have to overcome? It's hard to wait, isn't it? It's hard to be patient. It's difficult sometimes to to really live out our faith. And so maybe the next step for you today is this one, and it's to ask God to strengthen my faith in Him and wait patiently on His timing. God had overcome Abraham and Sarah's lack of faith by providing a region where Ishmael and his descendants could live and thrive and where the promises of God for him would be fulfilled. And the final half of verse 18 shows us that God's word never fails talks about how they lived. Ishmael's descendants lived in hostility toward all their brothers. This fulfilled what the angel of the Lord told Hagar when she was expecting Ishmael and had fled from Sarah. Genesis chapter 16, verses 11 and 12, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Now, in the Hebrew, this uh, two words, in hostility, can actually be translated two ways. The first way is against the face, which means in defiance or in hostility. It can also be translated opposite or east of, meaning dwell alongside of. Both of those translations make sense here in this context. But the one that speaks of them living in defiance or hostility fits better with the context of Genesis 16, 12, which is what's being referenced here in Genesis chapter 25. So while this narrative note is not a positive note, like that's not positive, right? Hey, by the way, Hagar, I'm just letting you know your son is going to be at odds with everybody. He just, he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. That's not a real positive thing, like, you know, revelation for the future. <laughs> really? That's how he's going to be? And again, while this note's not positive, it still shows that God's word never fails. Principle three is just that, that God's word never fails. There are hard sayings in Scripture. I'm just reminded of one in John chapter um, 6. Verses 53 to 66. Let me read those for you. This is Jesus. And he's speaking. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It's kind of difficult. <laughs> Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the la at the last day. 
For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware, of his disciple, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet they, uh, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would re- betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to the Father or come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time... Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That was a hard saying. People, these disciples were struggling to understand that. But God's word still doesn't fail. Jesus is the bread of life. And if, we, if we're not connected to him, then we don't have life. There are difficult concepts for us to grapple with in God's word. We don't always understand them. Revelation's not a particularly easy book to understand, is it? There are things that God calls us to do that we do not always want to do, right? When Jesus is talking to his disciples about what it costs to follow him, this is something he calls us to do, but it's not always easy to do. In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 27, we read these words. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Is that a hard saying? Do you hear what Jesus is saying there? If you don't hate your father and mother, your wife and your children, how many of you say that you hate your, your mom and dad? It doesn't actually mean hate there. It's to love less. So love your mother and father, your wife and your children less than you love Jesus. He says, if if you're not living that way, you're not worthy to be my disciple. That's a hard thing, isn't it? That's what God's calling us to. That's what being a disciple of Jesus Christ means. Taking up our cross daily and following him. There is discipline that God promises for his disciples who are disobedient that we don't even want to think about. And yet, God's word never fails. I want to read you one more out of Joshua. Chapter 21, verses 43 to 46. And this talks about the fact that God's word never fails and that he keeps every promise. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their forefathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. And then verse 45, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. That's the God that we serve. His word never fails. 
His word provides guidance and direction for our lives. Maybe you're ready to take that second next step today, and that's to know and submit to God's unfailing word, whether or not I understand it or agree with it. God's word did not fail when he told Hagar that Ishmael would, be, would live in hostility towards his brothers. It happened even though it was not a positive revelation for him. Even though Ishmael's line was not the chosen covenant line, God still cared about him and his descendants. You see, because God cares for all people, whether or not they believe in him or are disciples of his son Jesus. And so as we review today, I want to encourage you to not forget that God fulfills his promises. And let me ask you this question. Do you need to patiently wait for the Lord to strengthen your faith about the difficult situation you're currently facing? Just cry out to him and ask him for strength. And are you ready to submit to God's unfailing word? As a body of believers, we can help to support one another as we patiently wait for God's perfect timing. As people come to you and say, man, I'm really struggling right now. I wish this, this thing would happen so that I could move forward. We, as a body, need to say, trust God. We need to encourage them and strengthen them. It's, God keeps his promises. He's going he's gonna to come through for you. He's going to help you in that, that financial difficulty. He's going to help you with that future spouse. He's going to help you with whatever it is that you're going through. He's going to take care of you. And we need to encourage one another in that. We can also help support one another as we submit to God's unfailing word. As I think about all of this today and how God cares for us and cares for all people, I just want to close with this illustration. During the recent uprising and uprisings in the Middle East, and this is from 2001, uh, Ron and Yoki Jones, who served with the Christian and Missionary Alliance in Israel, communicated the following in their prayer letter. The result of the fighting and killing has left a profound sense of discouragement that hovers over the country. Several times we have come into close contact with this conflict than our comfort zone allowed. Yesterday, a friend shared with us something she observed that was a delightful reminder of God's care for us. She watched a shepherd caring for his flock near the area where guns are fired. Every time the shots rang out, the sheep scattered in fright. The shepherd then touched each of them with his staff and spoke calmly to them, and the sheep settled down immediately because they trusted the shepherd. And then another shot sounded, and the same routine happened again. Each time the sheep needed the shepherd to orient them again and to reassure them they were safe. We are like those sheep, and our shepherd reaches out and touches us with his staff, speaking words of calm and comfort. Aren't you glad? We can trust God to take care of us and whatever we're going through. And he even takes care of those who are not following him, those who are not his covenant people because he has created them. And so as we just allow that truth to, to kind of sink in, and as the worship team comes, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads with me as we pray. Lord, we come to you. We worship you today. Thank you for the fact that you care for all people. And we see that through the fact that you uh, provided for Ishmael, even though he wasn't the covenant son. <clears throat> you kept your promise. And Lord, you, your word didn't fail, even though it wasn't an, an easy thing to be at odds with everyone, including your own family. And Lord, today I just pray for your people here 
whatever they're going through, the difficulties they may be experiencing, Lord God, would they, would they just turn to you? Would they seek your face, find their hope and their strength in you? And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with